It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Monday. I'm James Erpine. It is great to be with you. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic coming up in 30 seconds. As always, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcast, including LockedOnBengals.com, where you can get my post-game recap of the Bengals 37-36 win. Plus, Jeffrey Carr wrote about the win, and I wrote about my observations, some observations from the Bengals' huge win. They're now 3-1, and one, plus some cool pictures. I was in Atlanta. Some cool pictures posted as well at LockedOnBengals.com. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic joins us every single week. For our weekly film review, you could follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, and I encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic. Joe, I appreciate the time as always. There's so much I want to talk about uh, with this offense and the good, with this defense and naturally the bad. Let's start, though, with Andy Dalton. Uh, one of my observations, spoiler alert, at LockedOnBengals.com is that Andy Dalton is playing the best football I've ever seen him play now he's an MVP candidate in 2015 I think the biggest difference between Andy then and Andy now is that team was healthy he had a full plethora of weapons they're three and one this year with a average at best offensive line and I'm being very nice when I say that they're mm-hmm. three and one this year with with uh, their starting running back out obviously they're starting centers out I, I do think Trey Hopkins has done pretty good but They've been missing some guys. The defense certainly isn't up to snuff, and yet Andy Dalton has found a way. He looks as comfortable as I've seen him, and I don't think there's a point at any other moment in his career where he's able to drive down 75 yards like he did, facing multiple fourth downs and scoring like he did yesterday in Atlanta. I mean, they didn't have Tyler Eifert. They didn't have Giovanni Bernard on that last drive. It was Mark Walton the whole time, and they didn't have John Ross. Cody Core was out there. Alex Erickson was out there, and Andy found a way to get it done So I'll ask you, you've watched the film. Is this the best Andy Dalton has played that you've seen based on what you've seen film-wise? Ooh, it's tough. Um, I do – I sat here yesterday after the game, and I'm thinking, man, that that game alone is one of the best games I I think he's ever played. And then I thought, well, he was really good week one. We said that. Um, Week two, they started off on fire, even though the second half was just okay. Week three, the four interceptions, but really we digested that last week, and it really wasn't a bad game for him at all. It just was, you know, sometimes outcomes are bad. You know, you, sometimes you can throw three picks and you only had three worthy throws or maybe even only one. Maybe it was a drop ball. Um, he had an interception this game, but it was because of Tyler Croft uh, letting the ball bounce off his shoulder into the safety's hands. So those things happen. Um, largely, he's played very, very well. And the offense has been, just as a whole, very good. I mean, it, Elevating, I think him and Tyler Boyd, I wrote about this. I think elevating Tyler Boyd to the, to the status he is and on the pace he is right now, um, he's just playing so well. And I think him and, him and Dalton 
make each other better. And, and what I wrote about was, what do you notice most about Dalton that's different, right? He's always been accurate. He's always been smart. Um, his arm strength never has ever been a problem, even though people wanted it to be when he first came out. It's, but it's, it's not crazy good, right? So what is the one thing we always harped on with Dalton? It was pocket presence and remaining a passer and playing outside of the structure of the offense on any given play. Um, and what have we seen this year? he's been able to do that. And he's been able to keep his eyes up when he breaks the pocket or deal with pressure and, and, and navigate the pocket and find that second or third option. And Tyler Boyd, at the same time, when you saw on the film, especially the, the coach's film, where you can see downfield and see what he's doing, um, Boyd is so good at, at breaking off his route and finding the open area. And together now, they're just hooking up every time Dalton's pressured. And it's keeping drives alive. It's keeping Dalton's confidence up. He just looks like he's less scared of the pocket collapsing around him. And then when he has to break out, he seems very calm and cool, and he finds his target. Even John Ross on that comeback route is when Dalton's breaking out, throwing it on the run, accurate pass on the run. Uh, so that's an added part to his game where I would say, Maybe he has more weapons in the toolbox than ever before, and because he can do that now. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not ready to say it's his best stretch because he had some stretches in 2015 where he's throwing four touchdowns a game and they just destroy the Jets or something. Uh, and, and it's, you know, the, he had stretches where he was really good and the offense was really good. But having comeback wins now against the Colts and the Falcons, uh, they could have come back against the Panthers very close. And then blowing out the Ravens on Thursday night, primetime game, right? That's huge. Uh, yeah, I can listen to your argument then. Yeah, I just and Joe Goodberry of the Athletic is with us here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. It just to to me, and let me ask you this, Joe, because obviously Andy Dalton, we've never really questioned his mental capacity. He's always been really good pre-snap. I think they've put a lot on his shoulders in that realm. Is there a difference pre-snap that this year that there there hasn't hasn't been in years past? Because I have a feeling, and maybe it's just how comfortable he is with Bill Lazor's playbook, but I get the sense that he knows most of the time, based on yep. the coverage, based on what he audibles, he's making the calls at the line, 99% of the time he knows where the ball's going anyway, and he's right. Like It's not like he's had a bunch of dropped interceptions over the first month. He's had a couple. I get it. It happens playing quarterback. But for the most part, he gets it right, and I think he knows pre-snap where he's throwing the ball. You know what helps? Having good weapons that you trust. Uh, and we saw this in 2015. We thought the same thing. Like, man, he, they are just him and Hugh Jackson are in sync. Hugh Jackson's got it working for them. They know what they're doing together. And we feel the same now. And it's because um, when you can go out there and they and let's say the defense is out there in a uh, cover three defense, but that that center field free safety is is shading towards AJ Green, and you don't feel comfortable going to um, Tyler Boyd last year because he struggled, and or Brandon LaFell on the outside because he never won out there. You guess what? Now you feel like. I can't go to A.J. Green because he's doubled. I really don't trust these other guys. Tyler Eifert's hurt. You're, you're going to be more indecisive. You've got to see those guys get open rather than trust that they're going to be at the right spot at the right time and win on their coverage. Now, when you've got the weapons you do, and especially when Eifert was still there in the first half, it, pick your poison defense. You want to cover A.J. Green? Fine. Slant that safety over, shade that safety over, and guess who's open running up the seam on the left side? Tyler Eifert. Or uh, on uh, the opposite way, they did it with John Ross. So go ahead, pick your poison. I, I think it gets scary when guys like Eifert and Ross are hurt because then you wonder, and we saw on the last drive, it got a little tighter. Throws got much tighter, and 
Tyler Boyd kept coming up in contested situations and winning one-on-one, and you need that. You need guys that can win one-on-one coverage when the defense doesn't just give you a free look or a free pass. When Really what they were getting for a lot of the season so far in the first quarter of the season is guys are open on almost every single play. We know the offensive line isn't that improved from the last couple of years. They still have massive issues on the right side. they got a first-time center now that he's played really two-and-a-half games at center, but Cordy Glenn has just been okay dealing with a knee injury, giving up some pressures on that side. The difference is the ball's already out because the guys are open, because Dalton knows where he's going with it, because it's easier when you have these weapons. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. You mentioned Tyler Boyd. Let's talk about him. You wrote about him for The Athletic. I enjoyed that piece. You should check it out as well. Uh, Joe's work at The Athletic. And and something, Joe, I called him this, and and people have actually gotten tired of it, but I I think it's the perfect way to describe it, and I'm going to continue it. Maybe I I joked with you on Twitter that I trademarked it. I I think I might trademark it because yesterday, fourth and eight, third and eight, fourth and eight, I mean, he goes to Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd is Andy Dalton's safety net, and there's no doubt that he's just on on such a a different level. He had 15 targets yesterday. 15. And on a team that usually is overly reliant or has to look to A.J. Green to make a play, a guy like Boyd, it seems like Dalton has just as much trust in him. What is the difference on film with Boyd? What stands out to to you that, that has changed with Boyd, how they're using him? What is it? Because to me, I mean, it's almost 1A, 1B at this point, and you would have laughed me out of the room if I said it would be 1A, 1B the first four weeks of the year with Boyd leading in receptions and uh, and receiving yards. Right. We've talked about, well, why isn't John Ross getting more opportunities or targets, right? And we said, well, he's behind A.J. Green. He's behind Tyler Boyd. He's behind um, Tyler Eifert. So we know A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert, and Eifert was just hitting his stride, are going to get a lot of targets, right? And then you look, and you're like, man, Boyd's got more targets. He's got more catches. He's got more yards than anybody on the team right now. I mean, when you see it and you actually see it on paper, you go, Man, he's really having a good year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to take this time to expand on the larger Tyler Boyd evaluation from when he was drafted. And I've had a lot of people say, well, you never thought he was going to be this good. And or you never thought he was worth a second round pick. And I will say, true, you're right. And it's because how we evaluate and what we think of athleticism and speed and how it becomes a weapon. And if you remember when they drafted him, uh, they missed out on those first round wide receivers, right? We got William Jackson. We're happy there. But so they take Tyler Boyd in the second round. And uh, the point was supposed to be that, Hey guys, don't get overexcited. He is a slot guy. Even if he's good, even if he's Jarvis Landry, you know, second round guys that don't test well, but win contested situations and, and run good routes, even if he's that, that's good, but it's a slot guy. So, you know, when everyone was like, well, he's the number two, he's going to be the number two, I tried to reel people back on that. And then year two, he really struggled. Remember, like, year two, I think we even talked about it together on here. We wondered out loud, is Alex Erickson better than Tyler Boyd right now? Why is he struggling mentally so bad? And it, and it was. There was those blocking plays where he didn't know where he was going on screen passes, didn't know who to block. Um, you talked about uh, – he got benched, a healthy scratch for the Texans game, and then he was a healthy scratch for the Vikings game week 15 last year at the end of the year. Uh, after not running a correct route and running into Brandon LaFell on a play versus the Bears, and, and Marvin Lewis said in a press conference, he said, Tyler needs to know what he's doing, what's going on around him, and know how to adjust properly. And then he's gone off since then. He's really – I don't know if that – struck a chord with him or whatever happened, but he's done exactly that. Now it's, 
He's such a good route runner. He's winning in contested situations all the time. And because of it, Dalton trusts him. And he's in the slot. Yes, that's okay. But you're not, we see offenses around the league with number one receivers in the slot. We see A.J. Green in the slot. We expect him to get the ball, right? The slot is where you take advantage of defenses in the NFL, in the NFL today. So it's not a bad thing that Tyler Boyd is a slot receiver. It's okay because he's winning consistently and often, and you can feed him the ball. And every time they get into these situations, especially when teams are blitzing or mixing up their coverages, as long as the quarterback and that slot receiver, remember Carson Palmer, T.J. Hirschman-Zada, they would be on the same page consistently. They can adjust on the fly. I was listening to Tony Romo yesterday on the CBS pregame show, and he said, I need the offensive coordinator to give me a plan for first and second down. On third down, I'm just going to talk to Jason Witten at the line of scrimmage, and we're going to figure it out together, and we're going to get open, and we're going to, and we're going to move the chains. And I feel like that's what Dalton is doing with Tyler Boyd. They get there on third down. What's the coverage? Okay, I need you at this spot at this time. And he trusts them to be there, and he's there. And it sounds simple, but he's doing it. He's winning consistently. And when you have this, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's going to convert a lot of third downs, and that's what they're doing right now. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. We're going to do something new in our weekly Bengals film review. Uh, Joe's going to give me a play that stood out to him, and obviously Giovanni Bernard has filled in well with Joe Mixon out the past couple of weeks. And Giovanni Bernard had a touchdown run, uh, had a couple touchdown runs yesterday. But in the first quarter, the the cutback or the bounce out that he had, I'm going to let you guys listen to the radio call, and then Joe's going to discuss the play. Here's Dan Horde, Dave Lapham, Giovanni Bernard, on an awesome run for uh, number 25. Dalton under center, turns left, gets it to Bernard. He's got the first nice. down, bounces it See wide, it. and takes it Boom. into the end zone Boom. for a Bengals Boom. touchdown. Man, a tough series for Robert Alford, a tough sequence. A.J. Green knocked him five yards out of bounds on the, on the pass to Tyler Boyd, and now Giovanni Bernard makes Thank him you. look stupid in space. Hey, Robert Alford, your jockstrap's at the seven-yard line. He faked you right out of that athletic supporter. What a run by Giovanni Bernard in space. Oh, man, he stabbed that right foot and just a little jump cut, and Robert Alford was grasping air. That's Bengals uh, Radio Network on the call. Dan Horde, Dave Lapham. Dave Lapham's right on. Joe, what did you see on this play? Yeah, and the Bengals come out three wide receivers. Um, Tyler Croft motions to the left side, and they got a combo block with Clint Bowling and Trey Hopkins on the nose tackle, and they're going to take the the left edge player with Tyler Croft and Cordy Glenn. And as uh, Giovanni Bernard takes the snap, he's going up the middle. And now it, the thing is, I, I slowed it down when I'm watching it. He's really just baiting the edge players here, which is the safety and the uh, Robert Elford, the corner. And because the whole time he realizes he's not going to be able to really shoot it up the middle here, the blocks are starting to slip off um, and, and the, the gaps in the lanes are closing. So as you watch it, and especially if you can put it in slow motion, he's creeping up behind the offensive lineman. And he, he, they're getting good blocks, so he is able to just really – start planting his feet and kind of jab-stepping behind these offensive linemen, but his eyes and his head are turned towards Robert Elford on the outside edge. And Croft, Glenn, and John Ross got really good blocks on, on that left side. And because of it, Gio knows he can bounce outside. But the key here is he has to suck in Robert Elford. He can't just let Elford come towards the line of scrimmage. He needs to bring him inside towards the hash marks. And if he can, he can bounce it outside. We've seen Joe Mixon bounce it out a lot this year and get tripped up by it by a defensive back, right? Um, on this, this is what you want to do. You want to get that guy to, to really 
fall for it and go inside. So Gio's looking at him, and he's still feeling the offensive line. He's got his back on Cordy Glenn at the one point. He's got his hand on Cordy Glenn's back um, and just baiting Elford to really come down and, and crash on the, on the line of scrimmage. And as soon as he does, uh, Gio hits the, hits the gas, cuts that right foot, plants, and he just leaves Elford in his dust. And 10-yard, 12-yard run, whatever it was, uh, beautiful touchdown. Giovanni Bernard, and you tweeted about this, and I, I agree, because I turned in the press room when he made that run, and I was like, man. And I, I tweeted that people don't realize how good of a runner he is. He is uh, as good of a running back from a just run-the-ball perspective. He can run between the tackles. People think of his, look at his stature and think, oh, he, he's a, just a speed guy. No, he can do those bounce-outs, but his vision, his quickness, like for him to even be able to see that, I, I don't know if – and I love Joe Mixon, but I don't know if Joe Mixon sees that, and I don't know if it's that clean and that crisp. Compare the two running-wise, because you, you tweeted about it. Who is the better runner, at least right now? And Joe's obviously younger. Giovanni Bernard's more experienced in the NFL. But who's the better just running back with the ball in their hands? And that's the thing. Is, is the experience helps, obviously. the game. Every veteran will tell you the game slows down as you get older, and I think we've seen that with Giovanni Bernard at this point. Um, and Mixon is a young guy. But just mentally, it's easy to say that Giovanni Bernard is the better of the two. I think his vision is much better. He's much more patient. And I think that comes with time and trust in your offensive line um, and running different schemes because really for Mixon, it's out of the shotgun, running a lot out of the spread. you got a lot more space to operate. Um, you can outrun a linebacker rather than move him out of the way with your eyes or by pressing the hole and really just leaning on that right side, moving the linebacker and then cutting back to the left. These are things that Giovanni Bernard does naturally, and it gives him a lot of space. It makes the offensive line look much better than it should be sometimes because he is a very clean runner, um, not too many wasted steps, not too many wasted opportunities. If there's two yards there, he's going to get you two. Uh, if there's four yards there, he's going to get you four. And he, that you can trust, and it's nice to have that. You know, obviously he doesn't have the stature, so you don't feel like you can pound on him and wear him down. And teams value that. That's why Mixon is valued for his big body and, and what he can do and his height and, and speed and power. That is a rare combination. But when we're talking just who is the guy more likely to get you three yards when you need three yards? Honestly, I think it's Giovanni Bernard. You can just trust him more often. But we've seen Gio doesn't break the long ones that often. And you need, a lot of times, you need that big back versus a goal line defense, or, or I shouldn't say goal line, like a third and one. The defense brings up. You need him to break that one tackle and have the speed to, to really break it off and, and go deep with it. And a lot of times, you'll be surprised. Those are big backs that do it because they break that first line and then they're gone. And that's really. Joe Mixon. And that's not to short sell Joe Mixon because honestly, I think he's the better receiver of the two. I think his hands are tremendous. We've seen him catch one handed balls. We watched him in Oklahoma. He was a fantastic receiver. I thought he was comparable to Christian McCaffrey and should be one of the best receiving backs in the league. Um, and I think he runs better routes. And so for me, I think how we look at it, just because we see size a lot, we see power and we see small, we see thunder lightning, right? That old thing. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't have to be that. I think both of them can run a lot of the same plays as each other. Probably 95% of the playbook is the same for both of them. If not, 100%, and it wasn't that way before with Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard. But that's a long-winded answer of saying I think Giovanni Bernard is continuously underrated and really, really effective runner. Yeah, I completely agree. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Just a, a couple more things before we get to the defense, just offensively, and we can close up shop with our, our film review of the offense and talk about something that, well, probably won't be as fun. 
John Ross, one of my my thoughts on him was he fought through all the adversity of people questioning his effort and toughness and smarts and all everything to not only bounce back and have a touchdown, Joe, but then he clearly tweaked his groin and pulled his groin. Like I, I, I believe that's what he did. Or it suffered some kind of injury that prevented him from being the the normal receiver that he is, the the speedster. And yet he fought through it because people question his toughness all the time, especially because of his size. And he went back out there. And, and in the second half, he ran multiple routes, had a nice comeback catch, toe tap uh, on the sideline that I think was the best catch of his career, honestly. The way he was able to stay in bounds, get his feet down, grab the ball, get possession, etc. It was just a great catch. Your thoughts on John Ross's performance, him coming back. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to finish the game, which, again, I give all the credit in the world to Andy Dalton of being able to get that team down the field. But your thoughts on what you saw from John Ross this week, especially after what happened last week. Yeah, I think we went went too far last week. I think a lot of people did. Um, when I went back and watched the film, there was the deep ball on the right side that he didn't get to. Um, it wasn't really technically a drop. I, I think he still only has one drop for the year charged to him officially because uh, that ball didn't never hit his hands. I don't know if he just didn't hit that last gear or whatever. And then the obvious mistake of him and Dalton just being on the wrong page and then never locating that ball in the air and, and making a play on it to help your quarterback out. Um, so we went crazy. But when I went back and watched, they use him a lot to get other guys open. They scheme Tyler Boyd open by following John Ross, carrying that safety out of there, and then sitting Ross down or, or moving Ross to the open area. Uh, or I should say Boyd, I'm sorry, moving Boyd into the open area. So there's a lot that he does. And he's been a solid blocker for a little guy, too. I just said on, on the Bernard touchdown, uh, he had a good block there again. So he has been a valued member of the offense. He just hasn't had the yard. So for me, I'm like, you know, I, I just want the people to settle down, and I want them to make a big play. I want him to settle down. I feel like he's the type of guy who probably reads the stuff on the Internet and reads the comments. Yep, so I'm I like, think you know, so. I, I hope it's not affecting him because people have been really crazy out there. And, and, you know, he comes out right away and he scores early in the game, and the Bengals' offense is, is rolling, and that play was nice. Nice schemed up. He took advantage of it. And, uh, you know, his, he, he looks fast just even on that. Even as he pulls his groin with 10 yards to go, the guy can't catch him, right? And then the comeback route is nice and toe tap. So only played 17 snaps. He tried to gut through it. I guess he couldn't go. But you know what? I think his impact is really felt. And you say, well, how did he play? What did I think? I thought more of him when Alex Erickson and Cody Cork came in because, <laughs> and seriously, it clamped down hard on him and on the rest, of the, uh, the rest of the defenders. And I was like, oh, okay. But it was also missing Eifert, so it's hard to say one for one, right? But at the same time, I was like, ooh, things are getting a little tighter than, than, than we expected, losing Ross. And, um, you know, it reminded me of last year when, when Brandon LaFell was that other guy. And when you can't – when it's Alex Erickson out there, you really can't push that defense to really care about you in two and a half seconds before Dalton's going to release it. That, it, the difference between running a 4-2 and, or even a 4-3 and running a 4-5 or 4-6 is big enough that it's going to threaten that safety to get out of there, threaten that linebacker to get away, or threaten that corner to bail out. And it really opens up so much space for the rest of the players. And uh, it was evident when he went out. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. I'm going to ask him about the defense. We'll talk all things Bengals defense and their struggles next. But first... A word from Vivid Seats, because Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing you and other fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime. With Vivid Seats, listeners can watch their favorite teams and artists perform 
in person. Vivid Seats helps fans find their seats to their favorite live events, including sports, concerts, theaters, and more. Shout out to Joseph at Cincinnati Kid 86. He used the promo code locked on. He used the Vivid Seats app, and you can too. Use the promo code, and you're going to save $20 off your order of $200 or more. It's simple. You go to the App Store or Google Play, you download the Vivid Seats app, enter promo code LOCKED ON, and receive $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every order confirmed and backed by 100% guarantee. Again, be like Joseph. Use promo code LOCKED ON on the Vivid Seats app. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joe, let's talk about the defense. A defense that ranks 29th in the NFL in total yards given up. They've allowed... 28-plus points per game now through the first month of the season. And I think the biggest thing uh, that's worrisome about this defense, they haven't forced a turnover over the past two weeks. Bengals fortunate to get the win in Atlanta despite losing the turnover battle, despite allowing the Falcons to be go 11 of 15, I saw, on third down, which honestly it seemed worse than that. I can't believe there was four third down conversions the Falcons didn't get. Uh, your thoughts, at least initially, on what I called a Charmin Ultra soft defense. Well, and that's pretty close to what it would be called. <laughs> I think for a lot of, a lot of even I bet even in the the film room, they're saying, "Well, we keep playing this soft zone," and they are, and it's killing them. I mean, they're they're not mixing it up pre-snap, post-snap the way they did before. Uh, they're really not putting. You know, remember Mike Zimmer's known for um, sugar in the egg gap. They call it right where you bring two linebackers up. And you really force either a quick throw or you're kind of forcing the hand of the defensive or the offensive line how they're going to block inside first and then outside. So you're getting some free rushers, which force quick throws. And you can play the, the soft zone when you do that and because the guys are going to come up and make the tackle. Um, now they're kind of one safety deep, playing cover three, which means the two outside corners, William Jackson and Drake Patrick, are playing deep on their, on their third of the field. And in, and they're playing their linebackers, and, and sometimes the nickel corner of the safety also comes in there, and they're just playing a middle zone, and and it's they're giving them these easy throws and these easy easy targets, and they're getting exploited up the seams right now between Calvin Ridley, um, was it Logan Paulson who caught the touchdown, yep. or was it Hooper? Yeah, Paulson then that caught the touchdown, uh, both up the seam because there's just a void there. That's not a player messing up. That's not the linebacker supposed to carry them. It's that there's the void. The void. You want to be a cover three? Um, get that safety to lean left or right and attack the other seam or they attack the other boundary. And that's what they're doing. And um, it's beating them. And it's really hurting the strength of the team, which is the defensive line, because if you can get them to hold the ball just a little bit longer, cause a little bit of more indecision from the quarterback, this defensive line is going to get there. They've been really close a lot this year. And that continued on Sunday. And 
instead the quarterback's getting rid of the ball to an uncontested receiver in a lot of situations. Something's got to change, and it's not just going to be Vontez Burfitt coming back and getting this team to play a little harder because he is an emotional leader and a mental leader out there. He's going to get these guys to maybe rally to the ball and tackle and play with a little more fire in them, and that's good because there were some plays where I thought that was missing. But at the same time, I think Austin's got to – He's got to change what he's doing, and I think it's hurting William Jackson a little bit too. You got to let these guys play a little more man coverage. You got to let you got to let them do what they do and what they've done for the past years when they were a decent defense that got aired out by the, by a bad offense. Now it's the other way around. Now the offense is actually bailing out the defense. He's Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Yeah, I'm shocked. I mean, a month ago, if you, I think the one thing we thought was that the defense would be at least competent right, to, to above average. They're nowhere near it. I think some people are worried about the pass rush. They had three sacks yesterday. Your thoughts on, on how the Bengals' pass rush played yesterday against the Falcons? I thought they were perfectly fine. Um, honestly, there's the Falcons kept leaning into the run game, which anytime you do that, and the reason you want honestly, today's NFL, if you don't run for any yards, you can still win a game. You don't have to set up the run. You really don't have to do anything with the run. What you do it, though, is you slow down the pass rush when you do it. Then you go off play action, you kill the pass rush again. And the Falcons did that. They at least stayed true with the run game and stayed with it and, and were decently successful. And because of it, it kept the Bengals in situations where Matt Ryan shows a little quick play action, the rush waits and looks for the running back, and then he's hitting the, the tight end over the middle or or um, Kelvin Ridley or Julio Jones or Mohamed Sanu had a bunch of catches off play action. And it just what that play action does also is bring in the linebackers, makes the Bengals play safeties deep usually all the time. They're, they're very conscientious of being, getting beaten deep, and they really don't often. So they, they play their, their third half or their third, their third level of the defense back deep. The linebackers get sucked up, and there's a big void between the linebackers and the corners. And you kill the pass rush with the play action, you exploit that void, and it's what's been happening all year. Um, I've got no problem with the defensive line at this point, other than I wish they were a little more stout against the run. But I think when you lose a Ryan Glasgow, who was playing really well, uh, you really don't have a backup defensive tackle to Geno Atkins. I'm talking about a three-tech type. Uh, and it's Billings and Tupau, which Tupau out of pressure. Billings had a couple of run stuff. But you're weak inside because you're going to kick those defensive ends in, which helps you in your pass rush but it's going to get you beat on the running plays, obviously, when you lose 30 pounds, if not more, inside there. Um, so overall, I'm okay with the defensive line. If, if we're going to start picking either the, the, the front line, the, the linebackers, or the defensive backs, defensive line is the least of the worries. What about the linebackers? They're the biggest of the worries. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I'm not even sure it's all of them, to be honest with you. How many different linebackers or different linebacking combinations have we had now in the last, four or five years, and what's the same thing we keep ending up with? They can't cover. They're not in space to make plays. Um, they're just standing around in zone coverage while there's guys open next to them or behind them. And I'm starting to wonder if it's the different players. Is it because they don't have perfect? Is it because because they, they haven't had perfect for a good chunk of the last three to four years now? Um, and, you know, at the same time, you have to wonder, is it just that they're not athletic enough? Because we always ask that. But then you see these guys make a play at randomly. I know Preston Brown is, and we saw a drag route where Brown couldn't keep up with the guy at all. Uh, but Nick Vigil is athletic enough. Um, Jordan Evans is athletic enough. 
you just start to wonder what is going to happen at linebacker or how they could begin to fix it uh, and get these guys to play more aggressively and let them cover a little bit more instead of just playing zone over the middle. And I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you, because I think their biggest concern is not getting beat deep in the secondary, and they'd rather get beat deep or not deep, I'm sorry, they'd rather get beat over the middle for 8-yard chunks, 10-yard chunks. As long as they come up and make the tackle, they're comfortable with it. But then we see the plays where Austin Hooper splits a double team and, and they don't make the tackle. And next thing you know, he's converting on third down. So them not making the tackles is the biggest difference of why their third down unit is struggling. The off coverages and then missing tackles, it, you can't have that combination. You can't let the guys have the catch and then, and then miss the tackle. If you're going to let them have the short catch, you have to be a good tackling defense, and they're not right now. All right, got to ask you one more thing about this defense, and I think this is something that's a little shocking because we expect Jay Kirkpatrick to get beat at times, maybe not as bad as Calvin Ridley beat him on his second touchdown where he just shredded Dre. I tweeted that he beat him like a drum. But what a seemed, route, huh? Uh, it was great. All right, Calvin Ridley's a stud. <laughs> he's, he's really good. He's really freaking good. Um, but I look and I see Mohamed Sanu, who was a fine, fine player here and is a fine player in Atlanta, but him just outrunning William Jackson the third across the field and catching the ball and getting a first down. And I see William Jackson giving up a touchdown to Calvin Ridley. And I just see all these things. And I'm wondering, is that my eyes or is William Jackson taking a step back? What the hell's going on, Joe? Yeah, and that's the third touchdown really to, uh, to Jackson. And they've all been the same, right? Either a slant or a quick post in the red zone and you start to wonder is he expecting inside help and here there's a a few layers to this right first is we said well jackson could be a number one elite shutdown corner so let's do that let's let him shut down his side of the field let's get the safety over to kirkpatrick and help him out and now we're here we're here we are saying are they giving him enough help because he's every time he's gotten up he's looked at the second level like linebackers where are you you're getting sucked up in the play action you're moving out of the zone i need to expect to have that linebacker in that throwing lane so that I don't have to cover that inside um, slant as hard and I can take away the rest of the uh, of the route tree. So I think he's struggling with knowing what everyone's doing around him. He doesn't look as agile. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, I didn't see what the injury was, why he was coming out and Dark Buzz Denard was going in. Um, but the one on Mohamed Sanu where he beats him, so here we are saying, well, well, let's let them play more man coverage. Let's let William Jackson actually shadow some guys, right? You hear that a lot. So here we go. The, the Falcons line up with two wide receivers to the right, and Sanu's in the slot on the right side. Jackson follows him. So Jackson's in man coverage. He ends up in the right slot and a place where he doesn't play a lot, where he's maybe, I mean, you have to assume he's a little more uncomfortable there because he doesn't play that position. And Sanu runs a nice double route and basically a, a deep crossing route, a uh, double move deep crossing route. And he, he beats him on it. And so now I'm, now I'm sitting here. Everything we've asked for, now he's struggling with. So where are we at? Whatever, wherever we're at with him and whatever's going on, and I think he's still okay. Uh, they're, they're not testing him in the ways he was winning last year. They're, they're now the tapes out there, and offenses are just what they're going to do. They're going to say, well, he's not the most physical, so we're going to throw some, so, some running backs or some tight ends in the flat over there. Come on, come up and tackle. And he, he hasn't been. Uh, he has had a couple tackles, but you can see there's more space there on that side than there's, there's been when it was Leon Hall or Adam Jones or other guys like that. Um, so they're doing that, and they're saying, well, we don't think he's – really going to fight in there on these inside breaking routes. So these slants, these posts, let's run that on him. And so far it's working, especially in the red zone. So offenses are now attacking his weakness. The great players now will respond. Make that weakness something that can't be exploited as much and start, you know, 
game planning for it, getting ready for it, and knowing this is how they're going to attack you. Make them attack you now where your strength is, the deep ball. The, you know, throw the jump ball, throw, throw the verticals, because that's where he's going to win. Um, the comeback routes on the outside, that's where he's going to win. You've got to start taking away the other stuff now where defense or offenses are going to exploit you. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. A lot of people concerned. Let's talk about one more guy because people obviously complain about Dre Kirkpatrick. Some complain now about William Jackson or at least concerned about William Jackson. And meanwhile, Darquez Denard is going under the radar. It seems like he's doing his job. But what are your thoughts on Denard through the first four games? I've got no problem with Denard. Um, he got some snaps on the outside when, when Jackson went out this week, which yeah. I thought was good because I want to evaluate those. I'm going to go look at those again and, and see really how he did. Um, which, overall, I think, you know, when you got three first-round corners, you expect them all to be good. I think in today's NFL, when you have a nickel guy, they're still underrated or undervalued, I would say, by most people and even by teams. Because even with the way the Bengals do it a lot, they'll end up with, let's say, again, use the example of the cover three because they've been using it a lot. And free safeties in the middle, two outside corners, got their third of the field and deep. And the inside, they're playing all different zones on the inside. Well, that's where Denard is also. He's counted almost as a safety linebacker in the coverage scheme of where he's playing sometimes there. He's either got the flats or sometimes he's got the, 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 where, the where the seam is running up on the right side there or he'll have just a middle zone um, or he's setting the edge for the run, and that's fine, but it's really not him in coverage. I'll tell you what he is. He's a physical player. He's a smart player. He's a tremendous tackler. When I see a screen to that side or I see a, a running back getting the, 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 the flare on that side and you see – um, Denard run up. I don't know about you, James, but I feel pretty confident he's going to yeah. make that stop on third down. I'm like, okay, here we go. We got a chance now. And he's come through almost every single time. So that's what he is. I would love to see him more opportunities with him one on one in coverage uh, because you still see those slants every once in a while where he gets beat and you say, okay. And then he makes the tackle right away. So the guy only gets eight yards. But at the same time, you go, okay, he's in the final year of his deal. What is the value here? Can you, do you think you can be more than just a slot guy? Um, do you think you can be more dynamic with him and do other things and allow him to cover more man coverage from the slot? Uh, and I think that question is still to be answered, even though I'm very happy with him and, and what he does and what he offers this defense because I think he's very valuable. I'm still wondering if where his value is and if it's worth whatever he may um, get on the open market. Two things here, and we did this last week, and I, I've taken up enough of your time. Just quick observations uh, on a couple things. First one, the safety play. How was the safety play on Sunday? It's tough. It's tough to say um, because Bates is a rookie and the Falcons have a lot of weapons. And the attention should go towards Julio Jones. So you see both of those seam throws. The way, same way the Bengals attack the Falcons' safeties by putting Green on the one side in the slot and Eifert on the, one, on the other side in the slot and running vertically against the cover three tell that safety to pick which one and you go to the other. They did that twice to Bates, really, and the one was the, the double move on Kirkpatrick, but still that's Bates in the middle of the field there, um, you know, and then the one to Ridley on the other side. So, you know, you kind of wonder if defenses are going to start attacking him or making him choose and, and maybe forcing the Bengals into a more covered two shell, and, and then when they do, you, run, you try to run on them. So, um I th- I'm, I'm happy with Bates. I'm okay with him right now. He's a rookie. It's his fourth game, and I think for the most part, he's been fine and been good. How does this offense look different? How much worse is it now with Tyler Eifert out for the season? It's worse. Um, they were just hitting stride. You watch, look at the snap counts every week and see how often they're playing two tight ends, and they're doing it a lot. And what they're doing is, even when they want to pass out of two tight ends, they're able to split out 
Tyler Eifert and use him. He's almost like a slot receiver and even a boundary receiver at times a lot the last few games. And they were really starting to hit their stride with him in the playbook. And they'd put him out wide and they'd motion him in. If the guy goes with him, it's man coverage. If they doesn't go with him, it's zone coverage. And they're like, okay, we know what we're doing just because of moving Eifert. Now you can do that with anyone in terms of motion. They've done it with Geo. They've done it with Tyler Boyd. But it was a good way to, you know, make the defense declare what they're doing and then attack them with Eifert. He made contested situations, made contested grabs in tough situations on third down last week and this week. Um, you know, we like Croft and Uzama, and we've praised them a lot because that is good depth, very good depth. And I think both of those guys have started the year off pretty well, too, especially for being the backups. But at the same time, they're not the receiver Eifert is, obviously. We know that, right? And so you're going to miss something, and it's it, they've got to adjust again. Two years in a row now, they've got to adjust without Tyler Eifert. And while I think they've got more weapons this year and they should be used to adjusting without, without him, the past two years they've struggled without Tyler Eifert. Yeah, and the thing I'm most concerned about, especially Miami, obviously it's a winnable game. I'm not sure Ross is going to be good to go if it's a pulled groin, and I might know more later today on that. But if that's the case, obviously no Eifert. Unless you get Mixon back, you might be talking about Bill Lazor having to get real creative, right, with with what they do offensively yep. if you're going to see Alex Erickson and Cody Core out there. Yeah, and, uh, and Josh Malone. Yes, that too. He's out there for four snaps this past week, so we're starting to wonder where Malone is also. But I was going to say, Mason Shrek, I would assume, would be the active guy now. They drafted yep. him in the seventh round. They like him. He's got some athleticism. He had a lot of big plays in preseason, even though he had a couple fumbles also. Um, with Cross, Uzama, and Eifert ending their contracts at the end of this year, you may want to see what you have in Shrek anyways. But I do think tight end is or could potentially look very different next year um, just in terms of now you – I mean, we already knew you couldn't rely on Tyler Eifert, but another injury happens again, and you wonder when this team does move on and draft a guy or, or get that number one tight end again. Um, and with Crofton and Uzama both probably maybe fighting for the same contract of being the number two tight end, that should be interesting this year. And, and I hope a few of them can make a lot of plays and, and you know have some nice blocks. They've been serviceable. So the offense is going to change. I did get a question, though, because I think since he was drafted, people have wondered this. Is Auden Tate that move tight end? Could he do that? Could he up in the red zone now? And I would consider it. I think that we should eventually find a way to get Auden Tate on the field, right? But um, the thing and the hard part is you just can't put a receiver at tight end and say, he's a tight end now, treat him like a tight end. Defenses are going to say, no, he's still a receiver. Here's a corner to cover him. You want a linebacker or safety to cover him. That's when he's going to win. That's when his speed isn't a big detriment to him. So you want to show him in tight end situations for a few games, maybe a couple snaps each game, and then defenses will go, okay, he is a tight end. We will start you know, treating him as yeah. such and, and, and trying to defend it, and that way you create the advantages by splitting him out wide and getting, and getting the advantage that way. So, I, you know, I, the Bengals have denied it the whole time since he's been drafted. But I do think, you know, now is the time you adjust. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Great stuff. As always, Joe, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you for having me, James. That's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. That's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening today. Back at it tomorrow with the Locked on Bengals podcast quick reminder you can subscribe itunes google play spotify stitcher the iHeartRadio app a ton on the website at lockedonbengals.com have a great day back at it tomorrow right here on the locked on bengals podcast 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.